Welcome back to the I Am The Code podcast. I'm your host, Mariam Jam, a founder of I Am The Code. I want to say thank you. Thank you so much for being here and listening to the podcast. You know, over 1.5 billion learners in 165 countries are affected by COVID-19 school closures. And I've learned last week that schools will be closed until 2021 for our young girls, for some of them, of course. And during this time, I know they will feel frustrated, bored, and lonely. The one thing I told them is to stay strong, resilient, and vigilant. And also stay connected with the people you are really close to. I love you. I sincerely love you. And I'm doing everything I can behind the scenes to make sure you are connected and you are learning. Please keep going. Even when things are really hard, go out for work, listening to your friends, listen to music. If you don't have the chance to do that, just take a deep breath, breathe in and breathe out. When I'm stressed, I breathe to show that I'm grateful to be here. Everything will be fine. It's a miracle we are here today. As my guest, Sulema Gurani, an amazing woman will tell us. She's a Moroccan-born Danish tech entrepreneur, right now in the Silicon Valley doing amazing things for her husband and her children. She's under quarantine, but she's working hard. And we're so blessed to have her join us on this podcast. She's a young global leader from the World Economic Forum and I had the chance to spend some time with Sulema at Yale University where we both attended a 21st century leaderships course. She's recently co-founded another company called Women Reignite, a company helping women to make better decisions in their life. And I think right now, we definitely need companies helping women to make better decisions. COVID-19 has shaken all of us and we must stay together, work together and collaborate more. Sulema is known for her keynote talks coaching and training sales teams. She's a fighter, a fierce fighter. She doesn't give up. We both had hardships in our lives. But when I hear Sulema talks, I can see that she doesn't give up. So much to learn from her. I really hope you'll enjoy my conversation with Sulema. I will see you on the other side. Sulema, how are you? Good morning. And looking at you always make me so happy. I mean, you have the brightest smile. And every time we see each other, we can't stop smiling, right? I miss you dearly. I haven't seen you physically forever. Um, so I'm doing really well. And I am so honored to be on your podcast. Because, Mariam, you know, a lot of people are just talking. You are doing. And I admire you for, you pay attention to you know starting you don't mind starting small meaning you don't mind sitting talking to one girl or one boy you don't mind showing up and doing stuff even if it's only for one person um it's easy to be um you know super impressed by you because you speak at the big conferences you, you are you're invited by all the you know the as a top speaker at all the big conferences talking about human rights and and and, and the future of everything and it's really a big honor for me to be on your show. And I also have to say that every morning I wake up, I think about how can I do more? And then I I don't think about you every day, right? But I think about you often thinking what you are doing. You, you go to bed every night knowing that you're doing something that is changing someone's lives. And I want to feel the exact same feeling. It motivates me to do more. I wanted to have you in this podcast for a couple of reasons. And my the podcast, the I Am The Code podcast, is a, it's not about um, quantity, but it's about quality. And I invite people I really have encountered in my life and people who I really love and maybe have never had the chance to tell them physically. I, I encountered you when uh, we were at Yale together. I've never been to Yale. I've never been to school. We were in the bus together. And uh, that day I was like, wow, this woman is really beautiful. I knew you had some Arabic uh, blood somehow in you, but I didn't. I couldn't identify it. But I think what touched me that day, and then since then, I, I will never forget that encounter. And I, I always think about what Maya Angelou said. 
you know, what you say to people and how you make them feel will always stay in your mind. And you were so kind and so engaging and so lovely. And you paid attention to every single thing I was saying. Sometimes we are, we are so in a rush in listening to people. But you, you really took time to listen to what I had to say, to share my story. You empathize, you know, you share a little bit about your story. And then I was so touched to spend time with someone like you because usually, because I grew up in a way that I never had friends and I never had people I could look up to. Uh, and I, I'd never had those encounters with women. I was like, wow, this woman is really lovely. She's really nice. And when I went to my hotel, I was like, wow, she's from, you know, she got a Moroccan background. And I started thinking about that. That was, that's the reason, one of the reasons I wanted to invite you. And the second reason is, I remember watching some of your talks and, you know, the way you help people to speak well, to talk well, to make money out of speaking. But also you are an activist, you know, you started from very, very early age, making sure people understand about gender equality, about girls' issues. And that really also touched me. And you did this in Danish. And I remember you were, you know, talking like Danish. I said, oh my gosh, she speaks Danish. <laughs> I was like, wow. I was like, oh my gosh. I was so impressed. And I didn't know this before. I met you at Yale and I went and I Googled you and I checked your talks and you were talking in front of like so many people. I was like, wow, she's an activist, you know. And then I heard what you were saying. You stood up and you asked questions. You didn't, you were not afraid. And uh, I just wanted to say this uh, before we start the podcast. So, you know, the reason why I wanted to have you, because I really sincerely appreciate your drive, your, uh, you know, everything you have been doing for humanity. So I just wanted to say that before we start. Thank you, Marie. Thank you so much. What was the last event you've done before the lockdown? Where were you? Where were I before COVID-19 started? So I was actually on my way on a flight to Europe. I was hired to speak at a very big event in Copenhagen. And I was reading the news uh, about COVID-19 and I was nervous to get on the flight because maybe the border would be closed when I was to return. Mm -hmm. So I actually, despite the huge amount of money that I would be paid for that talk, I canceled. I went on and canceled and you know remember my my family my mom and dad went bankrupt twice mm -hmm. so for me to turn down money is not easy mm -hmm. so but i turned down the 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 speaking geek and i i said to my husband we need to start uh, protecting ourselves so what the last thing i remember before everything closed down was me not going on that flight wow. and i've actually been home ever since this is my three and a half months i think i've been home in shelter mm -hmm. I've never been together with my kids, nor my husband, for that long. <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> never. <laughs> you know, I've I've traveled since my kids were babies. I've been with my husband for 25 years. I never, ever spent this much time with him, ever. And how are you feeling? I Actually, so I feel guilty, and I will tell you why. I am happy. Who would have thought of, I'm so happy, Mariam. I will mm. tell you why. I woke up this morning, I took a shower. I want to look nice because I'm <laughs> going to see you, right? So I took a shower and when I was showering, I thought about, oh man, this is a nice day. I have this and this and this, but I'm not going out tonight. I'm not invited anywhere. And I was happy. How is that weird? I am not missing out on anything. And I'm telling you, I have the best time with my kids. Every day I ask my kids, they're 10 and 12. Mm -hmm. Are you bored? Do you miss your friends? Because they are home with us. No friends, no playdates, no parties, no birthdays, nothing. And every day they say, no, I'm fine, mom. Uh. <laughs> so I think, I think, you know, we're just home. I work 19 hours a day, so I work harder, mm -hmm. but we're more together. So how do I feel? Me personally, I feel fine. If you ask me how I feel on behalf of the world, don't even get me started. I'm mm -hmm. devastated because again... Mariam, again, this pandemic hits people uh -huh. with no money, no access to healthcare. Again, it's hitting the wrong people. So I'm devastated on behalf of countries, nations, people. Yeah, so it's devastating. But listen, I'm determined to do something about it. Mm. So I'm sitting here 19 hours a day helping. So that makes me feel great. You know, I loved joining your podcast last time. We had such a, an amazing time. Uh, I really loved it. How is the family? So the kids are fine, the husband fine, everything is okay? We are healthy, um, inshallah. We, everything is good. Yes, so it's fine. Fantastic. You know, one of the things I was saying earlier as well is that, um, 
you know, you're always helping people and you are, you know, the driver in the, in, you know, you and I are very privileged to be in the Young Global Leaders community and you're always uh, pushing for, for humanity and making sure things get better. But can you tell, tell us a little bit about your childhood? You know, where, where did you grow up? Where were you born? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I was born in Morocco. So up north. Uh, northern part of Morocco my dad was Moroccan he died a few years ago Mm -hmm. and my mom is Danish but they lived in Morocco and they had me Mm -hmm. and then in 1975 when I was born in December there was a social unrest in Morocco and my mom and dad decided shortly after I was born to return to Denmark so we did but the Danish government refused to give me citizenship and I don't know, maybe I was smuggled into the country. I don't know. But it was a, it, it took my dad and my mom four years to get me acknowledged as a Danish baby. Wow. And, and you know, I couldn't even get baptized. You know, it was just humiliating, really. And, um, and my dad, he, he came to Denmark in the, like in the beginning of the 70s. I was, I was born in 75, yeah. He came here as a sailor, you know. I grew up as the only brown child. Can you imagine? I mean, people would even stop my mom in the streets when I was a baby, just looking at me because I was so exotic. But then shortly after, maybe when I was seven, eight, nine years old, they started bullying my family. If my mom was grocery shopping with me, they would take the shopping cart and push it into her, you know, the silent aggression, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I very early on, I, I realized that we were a different family. If I had birthday parties, kids wouldn't show up. And on top of that, we were poor, right? We didn't have any money. My mom and dad uh, went bankrupt twice. They, my dad's really struggled to get a job because no one wanted to hire him. He didn't speak really well Danish. So, Mariam, I remember my childhood as sad. Sad, disappointing, lonely. I feel that everyone and everything, that was how I felt, was trying to crush me, you know, my soul, make me feel horrible, less worth. Dignity is really a worth that means a lot to me. I never gave them my dignity. You know what I mean? I never sold my soul. I never let them make me feel less worth. And I remember, even as a small child, Mariam, this is really weird. Even when I was, you know, seven years, 10 years, 15 years, I always told people around me mm-hmm. that someday, someday I will be giving a platform. I was on fire, but everyone was laughing. My teachers, even in fourth grade, my math teacher told me that I should, you know, lower my ambitions because I would never reach very far. My name, Sulaim, a very Moroccan, doesn't really work well in Denmark. My color and my gender. So I had three things against me at the same time. Plus, My mom and dad were struggling economically, financially. I remember many, many, many mornings leaving without breakfast. I remember many, many lunches with no lunch bag. I remember no help with homework. I remember, like, I can just continue and continue. You know, now we talk about racism. We talk about, uh, you know, I wrote a blog about uh, racism and slavery and and discrimination. Um, And I think many people, I can tell you that the people that did to you when you were young, right now they're on Facebook. They're on Twitter. They can see you. They they are they are probably feeling really bad. <laughs> and then I and I think we need to talk about this. I was this this is racism because uh, discrimination because of your color and your name. This is affecting so many people. And uh, and and I was discriminated like you, really. And so it's so important. Let's talk about the discrimination part because. But what can we do about this now? Now they're all on on Facebook and appreciating you. But they made your life misery. No, no, they don't appreciate me still. For instance, I was one of the few and first Arab women ever to be accepted in Who is Who, the Danish version of that, you know, the yeah, book, yeah, famous people come in. And I'm like, the only one, whatever. <laughs> so the thing is, I'm, only, I'm always the only one and the first one. And it makes me, it, it's devastating. Why do we still not have a brown CEO for a big, large company in Denmark, you know? Why don't we have a politician with a headshaft? You know, I'm just saying we are still not there. Yeah. I read the other day something that's, and I posted that on my Danish Facebook mm-hmm. also. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was teaching at an international school a few years back, full of international students in Denmark. Denmark is very white still. Mm-hmm. And I asked the students, Has, does any of you got a Danish friend? Like a real Danish white friend? 
And only one raised his hand. I think there was two, 300 students in the room. And I'm like, why don't you have Danish friends? And they said, well, it's not easy to become friends with a Dane. And I think that's a point. You can talk about racism from here until Christmas. If you do not have an inclusive mindset in your life, having foreign friends, having a black friend even, or how would you feel if your, if your girl, your baby girl, your, your, your teenager come back with a black man as a boyfriend or a Muslim or whatever? How do you feel about it? Mm. You cannot donate money to Black Lives Matter. That's not the way you can, but that's not the solution. The solution comes from you acknowledging that you are not entitled. You are no better as a white person than anyone, anyone else. And I am honestly thinking, Mariam, we're not going to get there anytime soon. No. The other thing that is really worrying right now is, you know, you both and I are in our 40s. Uh, you know, five, five, six years from now, we're going to be 50 years old. And, and we are still having the same, the same issue about, you know, even, during, even with, uh, within our friendships, you know, we are not accepted. Uh, they don't let us listen. They don't listen. They don't. It's really fascinating. Uh, and then it's like they use their privilege to make you feel, oh, you are not like us very subtle. And I think, I think we need to start really having this conversation for them to know that it's not okay to make people feel in, in a certain way. You're right. You know, there's a lot of passive aggression. Yes. Right. I yes. mean, it's just the small things and people are more educated now. They can be racist without being racist. And if you say, oh, this is racism, they will tell you, oh, it's not. I mean, you have a thin skin, you know, they, yeah. <laughs> they will blame you even. So, you know, it's just done in such a sophisticated way that you, that you actually start doubting if there's something wrong with you. And I call this the new racism. And then I, I was thinking, uh, you know, if you talk to people about like the new racism, like this, this is the new generation of probably 1980s to now, the bad racists are, you know, they're the, the ignorant and things like that. They're prejudiced. But the, the, the good racists, the people that think they are good, you know, they are educated, they're progressive, you know, they always give you that, that I'm my black friends. Oh, no, 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 I have got a black friend. That's, that's racism as well. Yeah, I have a token black friend, right? <laughs> um, so I think in so many ways, it's so sophisticated. Mm. And, you know, you posted the other day, racism is a system. It's true. It's true. And, and I liked it. And I said, yeah, it's, it's a system. So I think... How do I feel about everything happening right now? I feel, I think the timing of Black Lives Matter is interesting because it's a pandemic on top of it. So, <laughs> but I think it's, it's great. Will it change anything? I hope so. But I'm also a realist. Like I've been brown for 45 years. Mm. I've been living this life for 45 years. Unbelievable. And Unbelievable, right? And mm. I was actually having a conversation with my son the other night. He's so I'm married to a white guy. Mm -hmm. So my kids are actually white. They're not brown at all. I mean, my kid has the white privilege, right? Yeah. He does. And we talk about it all the time. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to donate money for Black Lives Matter, which is fine. And I sat down and I talked to him about you can pay or you can commit yourself right now to start doing something. I'd rather have you start doing something or you are 12 make decisions now how you as a white man, how you as a white man will make sure that you are not biased or in favor of white people going, from, going on from here. So we had a long conversation about that. So I think it's education, right? Education, but also at home. I was giving advice to parents and teachers. But we also, we have so many people who uh, they have a fear. They don't talk to their children about racism. My son and your children, they're the next generation. But if we yes. don't have conversation in our homes about slavery, many people don't know that, you know, Morocco suffered slavery. Africa, we suffered slavery. I mean, in my country, Senegal, we had slave houses. And so if you don't have this conversation and just telling your children, well, this is what happened. Why people are marching because of this and this and this. Uh, I think we need to start having uncomfortable conversation in our home. And I'm so happy as a mother you are educating your children about this because they will be leading uh, us in the future. You talk to your teenager about, I hope, right? Sex and reproduction or future of work or whatever. This is a theme. Yeah. Racism is a theme that is as important as any other topic. Absolutely. Any other topic. And it should be scheduled, part of the curriculum, everything. And, um, and so, Miriam, most of my childhood, I was... When people had to say, if parents or whatever, 
or teachers would say anything about me in the schoolyard. They would say the brown girl over there. To this very day, they will still somehow put in my color. For instance, in Denmark, I have a Danish mom and a Moroccan dad. Mm -hmm. Still say the Moroccan, you know, the Moroccan businesswoman. Unbelievable. I'm like, I'm like, but it's okay. But I'm, No, it's actually not okay. But I'm proud of being Moroccan. So that's why it's okay. But it, it, it's fascinating. Yeah, we need to, that's why we need to recalibrate the vocabulary. And I think that's, very, that's a very good point. The vocabulary needs to change a little bit more, I think, because it's not acceptable that white privilege. And I was, I was reading a book the other day about white privilege where, you know, you are almost entitled to say whatever you want to say. It's not okay because you are a businesswoman making a contribution to the you know to, to, to the world. So you should be treated like any 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 other person. Yeah, you know, and Marianne, when I grew up, I don't know about if we can talk about boyfriends. I sure, mean sure. girls are yeah, chill, but talk. they're listening. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, all my girlfriends had boyfriends, right? I mean, you know, I don't know, from we were 14, 15, 16, and so on. You know what's funny? Mm. But the boys were not really interested in me. Why? Because I'm not considered being beautiful in a country where people are white, right? I mean, I don't, I'm not white. I have so many stories about how the boys would say, oh, but she has a big behind. You know, I'm African. I, mm. I have a butt, right? Or no, she's not attractive. I've been witnessing forever how I was degraded as a woman. Dehumanized. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So luckily I met my husband, right? And he loved brown women. <laughs> so he's so happy. I'm so happy. But you know, remember, I couldn't get a boyfriend really. I couldn't get a job. I mean, the, the amount of jobs that I was applying for, my name is Sulaime Gurani. You don't get a job with that. I'm a school dropout in seventh grade, Moroccan. Do you think it's fear that made them... Uh, denigrate you like that and not allowing you to have a voice and space because you went on tv you, you did a lot of tv stuff at one stage you went on tv right how did it discover you i will tell you how did it happen so in 2002 i was living in norway i am i have i had to leave denmark three times for me to get a job this wow. is fascinating I couldn't get a job. I, I went to the welfare program, you know, the, when you're unemployed and can't like get a job. Like in the UK, we have the job center here. I couldn't get a job after 200 applications. I was so humiliated. You know, I didn't have money. I was young. I had all the drive, but I, you know. And I remember that lady that activates you, right? She has to find out what job you can fulfill. She looked at me and she was white. And mm-hmm. she looked at me and she said, I don't have any jobs for you, but you can start painting this whatever building over here, you know, that could be. And I, I was like painting. I, I don't even, I mean, what is this? So I left Denmark three times. This is part of my story. And sometimes when, the, because now I'm like the, the number one, this or that in my country. And every time when I get an acknowledgement or they put me into a reward, whatever, I always say, now you want me? Where were you when I needed you the most? When I was poor, unemployed, was struggling. Anyway, so I left Denmark. Um, I went to Luxembourg, Switzerland, and Norway. All those three countries have a reputation for being more immigrant friendly. Yeah. So I was in Norway and I was uh, asked to do some work in Denmark. And then for some reason, I don't remember quite why or how it happened, but someone asked me, can you give a presentation for this business network, mainly white men, can you come and give a presentation? I, I did. I was rather successful in Norway with sales, and I worked for an IT company and whatever. And I said, yeah, sure, I want to give a presentation. I've never given a presentation, public speaking, ever before. This was 2002. Super nervous, but I stood up, and there was a journalist among the audience. Somehow this person put me in the newspaper saying, you know, oh, she's good with, you know, this and this and this. And then it started. That did not make my life easier. And then shortly after, three years later, I was recognized for the first time ever in the history of Denmark. I was named one of the 10 most promising young talents. And they thought I could be leading a listed public company. It's no listed company in Denmark (laughs) raised by a brown person. So, you know, being recognized as one that could become that, you know, Anyway, anyway, I was then headhunted and, you know, a lot of things happened and people start seeing me, but it did make my life a living hell because 
I, yeah, I swear to God that my life has always been tough, but it didn't make my life tougher. Why? Can you imagine being the first brown woman younger than 30 or whatever, you know, being recognized as the promising talent of this or that? People hated it, man. They hated it. And they were racist. Some of the racists as well didn't help. So, yeah, and you know, probably a few Danes were listening to this and they might comment. And still to this very day, this morning I woke up and 50% of the Danes, 50, today surveyed that racism is not an issue in the country. <laughs> <laughs> Which world are they living in? I'm like, seriously. So, you know, I'm, I'm, so actually I, we moved to U.S. four years ago. How is, is it, is it better in the U.S. for you? Well, Miriam, I have to say, I never wake up anymore thinking I'm brown. I think I wake up thinking I'm white. <laughs> <You> know, I, <laughs> I'll give you a story. So two, three years ago, I was in Atlanta. I was asked to come and moderate the Hope Foundation uh, Summit. It's financial inclusion for mostly black people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was invited. Uh, it's a, I think it's four or 5,000 people. It's a big thing. It's really something. Very big, and they're doing awesome work. And thanks to them, I have a really good credit score in US. So if you <laughs> want to understand how to improve your financial situation, go to Hope Foundation. So the, the thing is, um, I went there as, an, as a moderator, super nervous. I went there, I went on stage, and I have never, Miriam, in my entire life seen so many black and colored people in one room. Mm-hmm. I've never seen it. So I went on stage and you know me, right? Mm-hmm. And I went and I took the mic and I looked out on the, on the audience and I looked and I said, oh my goodness, Atlanta, I'm so happy to be invited. I've never felt this white before in my life. <laughs> and they couldn't stop laughing. I they mean, have laughed, so I'm sure they laughed so much. <laughs> because they understood it and we laughed and we laughed. But it, it does take some courage to say that because you could also have made them angry. But the thing is, then I, then I told them that I was the only brown person in my community and this was, I'm saying, I've never felt a stronger belonging to a community in the world than that. Mm. I you know you feel that vibration. They're so proud of the story. They're traumatized, but they're also very proud of the heritage and all that. Uh, so I think for your girls, everyone listening in here, I cannot emphasize enough. This is very important. The, I cannot emphasize enough the importance of belonging. You can live with a lot of adversity, even racism, if you feel that you belong to a community that is inclusive. So I think what really matters right now is that we unite ourselves and we get together and we share our stories of how our upbringing or schooling was and then move on from here. You're right. And so I think the other thing I admire about you is that you, you understand uh, discrimination, being left out, but you always fought, fought, fought hard to be where you are, where you are today. And you're very grateful to, you know, to live in the United States, to have a voice, to be respected. Mm. But, but how, what can we do for these young women and girls and boys who, you know, with COVID-19, they just like really lost. They have no idea what's going to happen. What is, what is the advice you, you have for young people to stay, to stay positive? You know, no matter what you say, it's so devastating. So first of all, John Hope, he told me there's a big difference between being poor and broke. And I think that's really interesting. I mean, I've been broke most of my life, right? Because I couldn't get a job. My parents could, but I never consider myself as poor. So stop telling yourself you're poor, right? Because poor is just devastating. It's, it's eating everything within. You're broke, right? You, you, might have, you might not have access to education. You might not have money. But it's very important to nurture. Nurture yourself from inside, right? And really mm. understand that you are okay. You're beautiful. You're amazing. You deserve to be here. This is your starting point. And yes, it's not fair. Actually, it's not fair. It's not fair that you are starting here and other people are entitled, privileged, and they have their starting point here. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. That's not fair. That being said, you have to keep your fire burning. Just like yourself, Mariam, everyone starts with one. I had one person listening to me, then two, then three, then four, then five, you know, and then continue. Now I have my column in Forbes. I'm writing on the theme inclusion. I'm giving talks all over the world, talking about inclusive education, inclusive workplaces. Inclu- now I'm raising money in Silicon Valley. Now I'm being 
now people are looking at me saying, oh my goodness, less than 1% of all VC money is, is being given to Arab uh, African female founders. Oh my goodness. Again, it's a case. You know what I mean? Again, mm. again, I'm highlighting what I'm going through. So to every girl and every boy, you know, what you're going through is not easy and it is in so many ways not fair, but you got it. You got something inside you and it will be okay. You should never start dreaming. You should never stop working hard, showing up, being kind, being respectful, pay attention to what's happening around you. And even the slightest, tiniest, tiniest bit of chance you see, go for it. Don't let your fear stop you. Never, ever let your lack of education stop you. Have pride, but don't be more proud than you could still be coachable. See if you can find just one person in your, in your community, one that could be your mentor, that could uplift you mentally just a tiny little bit. Find mm-hmm. an adult that you can trust, even though that you might not trust adults because of things have happened to you in your life. Find one you can trust. It just takes one. For you to start believing that everything is possible. Put a dream out there. Start thinking about what you want to accomplish in life. And I I cannot tell you enough, not only in my... So, you know, I was working in factories, being really poorly paid, you know. Oh, man. I was there with my mathematician book, you know. And my school, I mean, I'm a dropout in seventh grade. How would I ever make it? I was working so hard to catch up with all the things that um, I was never given. I was never given a safe home, child abuse... The girls are safe, but how can they protect themselves? They all, some of the girls we have, they also suffered, uh, especially with COVID-19. They've been suffering with child abuse. All of, I know you've been talking about this quite a lot. It is some of the things that have, it's part of my story. I was only three. So uh, I lost trust in men. It has been a huge thing for me not to turn myself into a man hater. Honestly. Mm. Welcome to the club. (laughs) I'm the same. (laughs) Men have let me down so bad. Like teachers. You and I, when when we feel betrayed, we get really upset. And then I think we need to talk about trust. How do you stay calm even when people betray you? Uh, Mariam, you are hitting probably my biggest, I don't, I'm not even sure if I should say weak point. Honestly, I've, I've been very honest about this. And this is something that I'm very, uh, I'm not proud of this, but I'm going to share because I think it's important when I feel betrayed and I've been, I've been betrayed so, so many times. times. Oh, oh. I mean, I cannot even count the amount of times where people have disappointed me, even to this very day. I get so upset. I'm Arab. My temper. I mean, I can yell so loud. I get so angry. Every single piece of my body and soul has been humiliated, disappointed, broken, misused, treated so badly. I'm so traumatized. I feel I am glued together with tape. It's a miracle I'm standing. I'll get back to your question. But yesterday we were out with the kids. We, we go out for maybe an hour every day and social distancing, but playing with them. And, and my husband and my kids, they are, you know, they have an easy lot, you know, they laugh very easy. They still play. They don't have a lot of worries. I mean, it's just, you know, a different mindset. I still have this, sometimes this dark cloud coming over me, like waves of pain, stories, and, you know, and I can observe them having fun. This is a pain. I can witness people having fun, but I'm always, I always feel, Miriam, that I'm a little bit an outsider still to this very day. I'm not fully included. Just when people are hanging out, having fun, there's still a part of me that cannot lean in completely and just have fun. But it's just, I think it's a trauma. I don't know. But anyway, I recognize that I'm always just a few minutes away from losing it, you know, and and just, so I need to meditate. I need to live healthy. I need to get my sleep. I need to, I, I need to take good care of my mental state of mind because if I just turn a little bit right or left, I will lose it, right? I, it's a miracle, Miriam, that I'm where I am today. It's really fascinating. We had a guy today and then we were talking about fear and he gave us a, 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 such an amazing tip. Um, and he said that he learned when he was young to scream 
he gave us a lesson. It was I learned so much from him today. He said, you need to learn to scream. So go outside and scream so loud. <laughs> I said, really? He said, yes, learn how to scream. Um, and because you and I have been traumatized all of our lives, we have really big problem trusting. And then today he said, I will suggest that you start screaming, mm-hmm. go to the park mm-hmm. or go somewhere outside your um, your house and learn how to scream. I'll tell you another thing. Did you know that one of the reasons why some rape, you know, when girls are being raped, one of the reasons that sometimes no one notice is because girls don't know how to scream. So I'm telling my girl all the time, besides making sure she's very good at karate, (laughs) (laughs) she can yell like so, so loud. Her voice, you know what I mean? can be as loud as she wants. She's, she deserves to be heard. And stop is a full stop. So all those things you really, really need to teach your girls. And boys, by the way, yell. Get it out. I fear. I'm doing something almost no entrepreneur have done before, raising this amount of money in Silicon Valley. I'm the only one. I'm there. You know, I fear. Fear is a normal is a normal thing, though. You've always been strong as well. I guess I'm strong. Because we've broken pieces from, from early age. You know, that's why I spend a lot of time helping young girls who are from zero to 16. That, 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 that age is so important in, in your formative lives. And when you are a young age, your trust has been taken away. You are broken into pieces. Uh, I'm, I'm really fascinated in learning how, uh, you know, how did you manage to be this so loving and really you respect your husband. You always talk about him. What is the advice? What is the advice you have for women to be respectful and kind and appreciate? I think you are grateful to have a, a very good, um, you know, soulmate. Oh, I'm so thankful. I mean, ah, oh, Maryam, gratitude is important. And mm. I, every night I go to bed, don't get me wrong. We disagree, you know, mm. and we are, it's not like, but I am so thankful. I'm not super religious, but sometimes I send out, you know, this thought, thank you for sending him to mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. I've never been loved. I don't even think my mom ever loved me this much as he does. And he never disappointed me in terms of, he never let me down. Mm. He never, he, he was never unfaithful. He was never, he never, he never hurt me. Right. Mm-hmm. He let me be who I am. He, I'm not, I don't even have to be perfect in his eyes. I can, I can be an emotional mess. And he still loves me. He shows up every day and he loves me. He shows, mm-hmm. he says it. And you know, a broken person like me, if you're consistent, you have me as your friend the rest of your life and as a wife or whatever. So consistency. And I know that is a thing when you're talking to donors or people who want to get engaged and I'm the code, you say that. Don't show up unless you have, unless you're going to continue showing tell up. Them that, yeah, yeah. We don't want you being here for five minutes or half a year. Come and stay for the long run. And I think it's the same with him. So what can I say? First of all, never, ever stop believing in love. Just because one, two, ten, or even fifteen men disappoint you, there's still one guy out there, or, or whatever spouse. If you are homosexual, that's fine too. Just whatever. Mm-hmm. It is there is love out there, and never stop believing in love. And when you meet a kind person that you truly like, start investing in that relationship because you know researchers have found out that people who stay married and really love each other, it's not necessarily because they madly in love with each other every day is because we have decided to stay together. Uh So if we have said out loud, as long as I remember, we are going to grow old together. Uh, You know, we are here to stay married. Uh Getting a divorce is not an option. And I will tell you something. Our kids, they grow up in a house where they see every single day that my mom and my dad I'm madly in love. And we tell them every day, you as a child, we wanted you so bad. You, each one of you, I love children. I mean, we wanted you both so badly. Uh-huh. They grow up knowing that, oh, my mom and dad. <laughs> and I think that's nice. That, that's super nice. Uh, they might really not. Nice, grow, yeah. yeah, no. So I think showing them love, 
Mm. That's the number one thing that I'm proud of. As a human being, if you ask me, what are you proud of? That would be that. I'm not proud of any, anything else, but I'm still married, Marie. I'm tough as a mom because I'm so traumatized. So here's a standing joke in my house. Every dinner time, they know, oh, tonight there's going to be a lecture. <laughs> <laughs> Do you give the three-minute lecture before? Oh, every day. That's something. And I'm Tell married. them Mariam said it's an education. Mariam said it's not a lecture, it's an education time. So maybe call it education time. <laughs> I do. They get free lectures. And I try to explain them that the people pay me a lot of money for lecturing. So you should appreciate it. But I know, I know. The other thing I was going to ask, I've got three questions for you. What is humanity for you? It is so such a profound question. Humanity, oh man, I want to be smart. You know, I don't want to let you down. I want to sound really brilliant. <laughs> no, just be yourself, it's fine. Yeah, I know, Marianne. But you know, humanity, I am nothing as a human being. I am nobody. We are only something together. You know, I'm nobody. I'm just a piece of energy floating around. So humanity is for me knowing that whatever I say and do to other people, it's going to impact a lot of people's life, you know? I cannot treat my neighbor bad. The humanity is that understanding that we are all united. No one is more entitled or better than you are. They might have had better chances or they had, might have been more lucky, but they're no better than you. That's humanity. That's amazing. I think you are, you are a very resilient person. And, uh, you know, you've, like, from, from, like, you know, the beginning... And, you know, from your parents and, and struggling with racism and discrimination, making it to the top, being the first person. I mean, you have like lived a beautiful life we, we, we should all honor. Uh, but if you look back, what would you say to the younger Sulema? I know you have a beautiful daughter. And the other question is, what is resilience means to you? Oh, man, my daughter is 10. She's so smart. She's so strong. She's so beautiful. And when I think about how I felt when I was 10, I was depressed, I was lonely, I was, you know, actually wanted someone to come and it could be aliens or an ad, 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 <laughs> someone adopting me. I just want to be removed from my pain. What would I say to myself? Uh, I would say, um, it's going to be okay. Just breathe. Breathe through all the pain. Just breathe. You know, it's going to be okay. I've spent hours, hours crying. I can't even count the amount of nights where I was just crying my eyes out, you know? So I would say it's going to be okay, you know, and just be you, right? I struggled for many years trying to be better or whatever. And that's good because it gave me drive, but it's also for a lot of years, you don't, you probably don't know that, but actually for quite some years, I refused for people to use my name, Sulaima. I gave myself a different name because I was just so desperate not to be Moroccan. I'm not proud of that. Yeah, but no, no, but it's 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 very important you said that because the, our refugee girls are um, they're South Somali Burundi kids, so they are refugees. And then I remember going to Kakuma one day, and uh, I, I I said to people that knowledge is not always from universities and high level places, but you can also learn information from from Kakuma refugee camp where they have two hundred thousand refugees. And this refugee called Patience, one day she said to me, are you going to come back again? I said, uh, I can't promise you, but I will do my best to come back. And she said, you know, I want you to know, being a refugee is not written on my back. Yes. This is a young 12 years old girl who said to me, being a refugee is not written on my back. And when I think about the, the millions of refugees, 70.8 million refugees we have around the world, who are looking for their identity, for looking, uh, struggling. So that's why I wanted to ask you this question is, yes, we definitely had identity issues, but but like you said, the youngest Suleyma probably, maybe the, our young girls should just relax, take a deep breath. I got on, I got, I got into a lot of problems with, you know, some of my friends were drug, drug addicts. You know, remember, no, I mean, I was not that kind of person you wanted to have as a friend. So I hang out with the friends that wanted me as a friend. And, um, and some of them became prostitutes, drug addicts. And, and this was something that was in my life up until I met my husband. He knows some of those people. I mean, Maria, I was just part of such a devastating community. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And uh, I started living for real. Mm. And I started being more happy and really happy with life. Thankful, not fearful. Only 10 years ago. 
And I still don't think I have achieved much. That's the fun part. But the thing is, for me, age have helped to just love me who I am. Has time healed anything? Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm turning 45. I'm growing up, you know, I feel it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's healed. And, you know, actually, I also have been able to forgive people for their ignorance. I've been able to forgive teachers. I was very much angry earlier. Angry, angry. I'm not so angry anymore. Is it why you're resilient, would you think? So resilience came out of anger, actually. I think anger was important for me to have because that gave me drive. I'm going to prove them wrong, right? I don't regret being angry. Resilience, I think, um, why am I resilient? I don't know. I really am. To this very day, I am. I, and I could tell you just what happened last week or the week before, and you would say, oh, my goodness, you survived that. Yeah. Uh, I'm sitting here. I just had an operation t- three days ago. You know, I, I'm, I, I don't know. I'm re- I, yeah, I'm, I'm resilient. I don't know why. I think I'm, I just am. But if you look back, you just close your eyes and you look back, all the stuff you've done in your life. I know you're very proud of your children. But what do you think made you resilient? Was it like, you know, when people ask me what makes you resilient, I always think about time and tenacity, the time I spent in the tube station in France, yeah. uh, the fact that no one looked after me. I was totally neglecting abandoned emotionally. Mm-hmm. But but I, th- that those kind of like uh, events have made me resilient. But I think when I think about your message to the young girls and boys, mm-hmm. I think they need to also, I think they could see that you are resilient, but I'm sure you can share with them that two or three events or even one event that's really, you know, in your heart, you know, that this is what keeps me going. I remember feeling extremely alone shortly after. I must have programmed myself to understand, listen, girl, you are on your own. There is no one. And I've said this over and over again in my books. I never really understood what, where it came from. But I, and I even say it today, and I just remember it now when you're asking, I have never believed in someone coming and rescuing me. At least I've never experienced someone did that either, you know? So I think resilience comes from knowing you are on your own, girl. You better make this work. I was joking when I was 40. No, 38, I, I got my midlife crisis. And it's not like a... Oh, I don't feel happy. It was like profound, really deep. It took me three years to get over it. I was so depressed. And I remember I was interviewed when I came out talking about my depression and someone said, oh, why didn't you give up? Or why didn't you take a sick, sick leave? I was working still being so depressed. And I said, honestly, what? who do you think I am? I cannot afford a breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> So I think I don't have an option B. I don't have anything else but this. I'm not saying that if you have a breakdown, you're weak. I just never thought that I had the privilege of not being driven or not being strong. I don't have the privilege to have a breakdown. Too many people are dependent on me showing up every day despite being depressed or sick or whatever People are depending on me showing up, so I'm showing up. I think I think that that when I was three years old, because I always remember Maria, me being bullied in the schoolyard, beaten up. I did beat them up as well, but you know, being beaten up, not invited, not included, left alone, even in gym. I don't know when you grew up and had gym classes. I was the last one they picked. You know, you were just standing there, and they, you, I've been like that all the time. And I think that made me resilient because I have. I can be on my own and be fine. And when people say sometimes when they bully you, like we are a lot of people who think that you should change. We all think that you, when I'm in those situations still, we all think it doesn't hit me. You know what I mean? How can you exclude someone that has been excluded all her life? It doesn't stick to me. You know what? I have everything to lose, but I don't have anything to lose. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm a soldier. I think I'm, I'm programmed just to go for it and not give up. I cannot give up. It's not part of my curriculum. It's not, I've not learned to give up. No one ever said, lean back, relax. I've never had that privilege. And what do you have? uh, What is the last message you have for the girls? I think they've learned so much. And I think they're going to really love your message on resilience showing up. And I've learned that quite a lot from you. Growing up in a refugee camp, 
my dad, I remember as a, as a child when I was in third grade, my dad, he had refugee camp buses coming to our home. My dad and mom had a hotel and he gave them free food because they were traveling up through Denmark from Germany. And I remember seeing those kids that were going to refugee camps, right? And I remember my dad, he was a fantastic person, but I remember buses full of kids with our parents coming to our house and I was serving them food. And he told me those people have no one. They're going to a refugee camp. And I remember the eye contact, you know? So who am I to give an advice to someone sitting in a refugee camp? The only thing I can say is be together. You know, girls stick together, watch out for each other, uh, be strong together. Uh, you cannot afford to have any war going on between you girls, no girlish things, no envy, nothing. Build each other, be strong together. If a girl in your if if the girl sitting next to you is a little bit stronger, more smart, stick to her, you know. You have to see yourself as a unity, you know. Don't poke holes, don't crack it, be strong together because there's nothing three, four hundred girls cannot accomplish in life. You have a voice when you're strong together. More people will listen if you speak together, if you stand together. You, people will be afraid of you guys if you stick together. So you, just like anyone else, you are stronger together. So uh, stick together, you know, and, 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 and love the fact that you are together as a group. I mean, build that community and, 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 and never be afraid of speaking up and stand up against a system or a regime or um, never be afraid of that. Even though if you are scared, they're more scared of you. Even though you are a small person and you might not be a grown-up, they, they can see when they look you into their, your eyes. They can tell that you have strength. And think about the girls in the history who transformed the world the most. They were at your age. You don't don't think that age or gender is going to hinder you in accomplishing big things. You are at the right spot right now to make big change. Sulema Gurani, thank you so much for being here, my friend. Thank you. It's a huge honor. Thank you so much for having me. You know, one of the things I've learned in my life, my life experience have actually taught me, is you are responsible for your life. You only can end your suffering. Everything is in your mind. That I've learned. And where you were born does not define who you are. Look at me where I am today. Look at Sulema. And all the people that you have heard from our podcast, they've been through a lot. But the common denominator between all of us is they are humble, they trust the process, and they learn. You have been listening to the I Am The Code podcast. I'm your host, Mariam Jam. Join me very soon for another I Am The Code episode. Stay resilient.